Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., you should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I've gone to meet Rory Jennings. He's a YouTuber, a presenter at TalkSport and loads of other places. But first of all, he's a Chelsea fan and has been his whole life. He was at the famous Stamford Bridge protests and a picture of him there on that Monday night went viral. This evening, Chelsea are up against Brighton. You can watch it on Sky Sports. This game has become pretty much a focal point for protest. The area surrounding the entrance that the teams use have now been taken over by the assembled crowd. I was standing at the front and just happened to see Petr Cech walking in. And people were giving him some grief. People were asking questions that I think they were right to ask. Mm. The thing that I said, which was caught on camera, was, where's your principle? I said, where's your principle, Petr? And he turned round, not necessarily because of that remark, but he turned round and came... He had a briefcase in his hand, I remember it vividly. He had a briefcase in his hand, and as he turned around, he launched the briefcase onto the floor, fairly aggressively, stormed back to the crowd and started remonstrating. Mm. At that point, there is a photo of me, of me sort of arguing with Petr Cech. And... Effectively, we were asking him questions like, where is, where is your principle? What you were doing is being done behind the fans' back. Nobody is in favour of this. In the week that followed the announcement, our timelines were filled with many more iconic images just like this. Images of fans taking to the streets in front of Old Trafford, Anfield, the Emirates and Stamford Bridge, all beamed across the globe to sponsors, shareholders and the like. Each snapshot as damaging as the last 
to brand Super League. It was kind of from probably that roundabout. This is Akil Vyas. You heard from him in episode one. He's on the board of the Arsenal Supporters Trust. He was at the protests outside the Emirates before Arsenal's game against Everton on Friday, April 23rd. He has a favourite picture too. And it showed a couple of flares in the air and it showed people and it was red and the Arsenal was kind of lit up in the way the, in the picture. Masses of fans in unity, the Arsenal red, you know, and it, it looked like fire as well. So it kind of looked like is the ground burning sort of thing because the Super League was killing. So it was just, it was symbolic. It's easy to feel a sense of resignation at some of the ways in which supporters' views and interests are disrespected in the modern game. Another unnecessary new shirt to be worn once by the first team, but costing the best part of £100? Been there. A midweek away game with no viable train home? Done that. This, however, was something else entirely. A change to the rules of the game without so much as a word of warning, and as always, just assuming fans will pay up and shut up when it comes to renewal time. But this time, notably in England, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. If the Super League had imagined a procession to its own inevitable coronation, then it was in for a big shock. The fans were ready to fight back. They were trying to rewrite football as we know it in such a condescending way they didn't even put effort into what they were doing I, I think that's what made it worse and I remember the anger immediate anger the reaction to it I've never known a 48 hours like that in my life this is episode two of back from the brink I, I phoned round the fan groups on the of the Big Six on the Saturday night as we found out about it, and basically the instruction was, this is not a drill. This is, the this is Kevin Miles. He's the chairman of the Football Supporters Association, the FSA. They're the umbrella organisation for fan groups across the country, and they sprung into action when the news broke. But even those fan groups at the Big Six were very quick off the mark. It had been news Kevin and his colleagues were expecting, that they'd spent years preparing fan groups across the league for, making sure that they'd all had their stories straight. It would pay off in April last year. Obviously, we, we were working with the FSA, with FSE, um, and, and with each other in terms of the, those, those clubs. I'm Joe Blatt, I'm chair of Spirit of Shankly, uh, which is the Liverpool Football Club. Uh, supporters union i think the most important thing was was having a collective view what i found striking when we talked to joe was how quickly and how strongly he felt the need to cross the divide between different fan groups you know we took on board um just how um apocalyptic it was really in terms of in terms of what it was um and we all agreed that there were, there were statements that we were going to have to be making individually there were statements that we we're going to have to be making collectively um, there was work we are going to have to be doing with individual clubs. There was all sorts of media that needed to take place. And I think what we wanted to do is make sure we had a common message so that, you know, if, if, uh, if Martin Cloak said something, um, he said something on behalf of, of, of all of us, not on behalf of Tottenham. Um, if I said something, uh, it was on behalf of all of us. And I think what we tried to do then was show the, the collective strength of feeling um, amongst football fans um, as opposed to, you know, each individual club. Uh, just each individual fan group taking on their own club or their own owners. This was something that was, you know, existential to football. Um, and, and as far as we were concerned, that there was a, 
the, the more corporate, the more collective we got, the more collegiate I got, the stronger our voice would be. Akil was one of those Joe was in contact with. We, we thank the Cronkies and, and, and all the other greedy owners because they brought us all together as fans and we still have a WhatsApp group now and we still... If there are the Ramble studio is just around the corner from the Emirates, so one sunny Monday afternoon we go and meet him. We start in the Little Wonder Cafe just across the road from where the Emirates protest happened on Friday, April 23rd. When the synced announcements were released at 11pm, that was the cue for Akil and the Arsenal Supporters Trust. The club clearly are just avoiding us, ignoring our messages, so we're going to have to go in a little bit harder. So that's when we started to do media briefings. I think on Monday and Tuesday we did, me and my colleague Tim Payton from the Supporters Trust, our Supporters Trust, we must have done about 30 you know, media pieces. Either there were newspaper columns, they were live on radio, TV, we were across the world. And we were really, really kind of slating the Super League because they hadn't, you know, they hadn't um, consulted one of the most important stakeholders, and that's fans. We challenged the football clubs from a number of angles, not just simply, you know, by by taking to the streets with uh, with placards and banners. We did that. That was very vocal. That was very public. That was very uh, newsworthy. But at the same time, you know, having a having a grounded single couple of points of explanation that we wanted from each of the football clubs from the um from the the, the, the governing bodies etc was really important and powerful so it, i think i think that's that for me at that time was the most important thing that it wasn't as though like we we gathered together in a virtual room and thought oh, what are we going to do about this i think very quickly we got into into mode of we can we can we can challenge this um the the easy bit was what we were going to say because we were all as one the harder bit was just the how and the who, and I think you know we, we very quickly sorted that. And then Monday came, we finally did get a meeting with the club. We got a meeting with kind of our CEO, not our owners, but our CEO. And quite honestly, we let them have it. We absolutely let them have it because we felt it was a betrayal of, you know, the the, the morals of not just the English game but the values of the club. You know, I'm like Arsenal were very proud of our values. Arsenal Wenger, when he left, said, "Look after the values," and that's something that stayed with everyone. And it was just that this, we were not looking after the values here. And we didn't really get much of an answer, really. It was a, there was no real justification. There was a little bit around it supports the pyramid because we were in COVID times, but that didn't sit with us at all. For all the organised messaging and cross-club dialogue, there was something primal about how we all felt in those days that followed the announcement. We'd been bitten by owner's greed before. I know that better than most as a Wimbledon fan. But this was tinged with a particularly strong sense of indignation, of trust shattered. It certainly was for Rory. What was your immediate feeling when the Super League news broke? Betrayal, I think. I think betrayal was probably the word that I would use to encapsulate the feeling most of all. Roman Abramovich at Chelsea was always seen as being a very popular owner. He was seen in a very positive light. Any negativity towards Abramovich would be seen as almost traitorous. Hmm. I wasn't part of that camp. Mm. I sort of fell out of love with Abramovich, which started in probably probably about a decade ago when he tried to move Chelsea away from Stamford Bridge. Yeah. Something that I find sacrilegious, like totally unacceptable. Mm. And what happened with Super League is that suddenly people started saying, is the club moving in the right direction? Are the board are the board operating in a way that is in keeping with Chelsea traditions? And how culpable is Roman Abramovich?
The founders of the Super League had unleashed a force they didn't understand and that soon they couldn't control. I know for a fact even on, on, on the Sunday night, um, UEFA, or key figures of UEFA, felt the need to get British pundits on board because they realised the greatest opposition for this was going to come from Britain. They, 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 they correctly predicted there was, there was going to be a certain apathy in, in Italy and Spain. That Germany obviously wasn't involved uh, because their clubs had rejected that, that first chance and that the most of the, uh, the groundswell was going to come from, from England. The public response was immediate. On Monday, as Leeds and Liverpool prepared for the first Premier League game since the announcement, fans from both teams joined together outside Ellen Road. Leeds players warmed up for the game with white t-shirts bearing the Champions League logo and the words, earn it. And on the reverse, football is for the fans. But it was on Tuesday where the spotlight really intensified. It's become something of a sit-down protest. The police are close at hand. They're keeping a watchful eye on it. As I said, the team's due to arrive sometime soon. Chelsea were hosting Brighton, and put it this way, it wasn't exactly your usual atmosphere before a home game in sunny West London. Somebody needed to make some noise, and I didn't know that it would be Chelsea. I genuinely didn't. I was, I was delighted that it was, but I was surprised that it was. And for me, I'm in a WhatsApp group of eight people who I've sat with and gone to Chelsea away games at home and in Europe with over past two decades really mm. we said we'll go to the grounds yeah didn't really know what to expect didn't know the, the if anyone would turn up didn't know if anyone would turn yeah. up when we got there we were we were one of the first to arrive mm. and it was at the time looking bleak because there was us a group of eight and maybe some other people that we kind of knew recognized you know the, the odd face that you recognize for an yeah. away concourse they were about and then there was a, an abundance of media Mm. and the media actually outnumbered the fans at the, when I first arrived. Right. We went to the pub. We went, we went into a pub for a drink. Relatively nice day. We sort of had, to, had a decent time and then we thought, right, we better have a walk down. And it was, and it was mobbed. It was carnage. It was, it was as if Chelsea were playing at home in a must-win game. After 13 months of quiet on the streets around Stamford Bridge, Fulham Road was filled with noise again. Over a thousand fans turned up, many sitting in the middle of one of the busiest roads in West London and holding banners aloft. You've got the entrance that takes you into the West Stand, then you've got the Bovril Gate, and then you've got the entrance that takes you into the East Stand. In that gap, which is probably a couple of hundred yards, you couldn't move. You couldn't get in, you couldn't get out. The police weren't letting people in or out. And it was, it was actually pandemonium, but I don't mean that. When you use a word like pandemonium or carnage around a footballing crowd, it has very negative connotations. It wasn't that. It was, it was pandemonium, but it was, it was positive pandemonium. It wasn't violent, it wasn't threatening. It was passionate, it was angry, but it was behaving. And it was actually all fighting for the common good. It was, you know, we were all fighting for what we believe to be fair and just and correct. And I still believe that to be the case. But the, the volume of Chelsea fans surprised me totally. Akil Vyas felt exactly the same way. I was thinking, you know, might get a few hundred maybe, but the fact that we got thousands was just, it, it really surprised me. And I think it probably surprised the club. These are guys who know the clubs inside out. And yet here they were seeing a whole new side to it. Akil takes us outside to the spot where the Arsenal protest really took off. We're at the front of the Arsenal, so we're in front of the kind of armoury box office media entrance. So all this was packed. And there was the people up there with banners that were coming down, so you can see kind of where the Arsenal letters are. People on the stairs and people there. I mean, people 
because there was obviously a game going on so they they didn't want the old traffic situation to happen so there was a little bit of a you couldn't get as close to the to, to the bowl as, as you would normally be able to do so really it was all this because this is actually i think this is public so people can't actually tell people to leave but from up there i think that's private property arsenal's property so it was all really here and just just up there really it was two days later that protesters would set foot on the hallowed turf of old trafford Andy Mitten, journalist and editor of United We Stand, knew it was coming. OK, well, let's bring you some breaking news here now. These are pictures of Old Trafford, where fans have now spilled out onto the pitch. That's what you're seeing there on your screens. Um, Manchester United fans angered by the European Super League. So there were two protests. There was one called for one week, which I would say was by the online community. Now, a lot of them, because they've never been to... Again, they're, they're clicktivists. They will say, we should do this, we should do that, but they won't actually be there. Mm. And that, that's not very effective if you want a protest. So there was, there was a turnout, pretty well attended, actually. But the big one was a week later before the Liverpool home game at Old Trafford. You can see the, the coloured flares there as well, uh, chanting and clapping. They're calling for the Glazer family to go. That's because of the increased uh, anger after the European Super League. You remember Short the one, left, April 25th, Sunday at 4.30, the prime time slot on Sky in the UK. A huge game in Liverpool's desperate fight to retain Champions League football. I knew from the people who were telling me that this was going to be the real deal. I knew that lots of people involved in that were, were going to be there in, in real life. And there were side elements to it. Because of an easing of, of lockdown, there was a social element where people who'd not seen each other for 18 months could actually go to the protest mm. and have a pint. And it became, certainly among a lot of my friends, are you going, are you going, where are we meeting? It was very quickly like we're all going, even though fans were not going to be able to watch the game against Liverpool, they were going to meet up at Old Trafford. So I knew that it was going to be the real deal. Thousands of fans turned up. Hundreds broke into Old Trafford itself and ran onto the pitch, taking shots, taking selfies. The images were scarcely believable. Here was the Premier League's headline offering being torn down by its own die-hard audience. The cries of Glazer out might have been avoidable before, but now they were inescapable. The game was delayed and then finally called off. Andy's contributors for the magazine received a deluge of invites from the world's media to explain exactly what had happened. Their expertise, it might be, if you're a former footballer, it's playing football. You don't know how ultras or fan groups work. They just mm. don't know. And I think they were a bit taken aback when some of our contributors were explaining and articulating, this is why this is happening. It was the opposite of these people are thugs. They're just, they're just there to riot. And I think it was, um, it came from a place of this is wrong. This should not be happening. And I think the Glazers knew that they, they'd balls it up completely. After the break, how the fans brought the house of cards crashing down. Hold up. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It was on that Tuesday, the Tuesday of the Stamford Bridge protest, that the dominoes began to fall. Rory was still there when the news began to filter through, and he struggled to describe the the elation that swept the crowd. My Twitter feed goes a bit crazy. Went back to the pub. When we were when we were in the pub, some noise. You heard you heard noise from outside. We left the pub to see what was going on, and it was it was jubilation that I can only compare to Chelsea winning the European Cup in Munich. I can only compare it to that. It, it was right. it was crazy. Smoke bombs are going off, the flares are going off, people are climbing up the... You know when you, know when you get that lunatic who's taking his clothes off and he's sitting on top of the traffic lights? <laughs> all that, all that's going on. And it was over. Chelsea had pulled out. It was official that Chelsea had pulled out. That's quite surreal. It was, it was an amazing moment. Miguel Delaney was there too. He was covering a game for the Independent, Chelsea versus Brighton. But a much bigger story was unfolding right before his eyes. I suppose I saw a little bit of history happen without realising it was happening. Suddenly I was, I, was out, I was outside the stadium, it was about what, maybe an hour before kicking off around that. And suddenly there was all these cheers if someone had scored a goal. Because uh, obviously it was a huge protest outside Stamford Bridge and I let Chelsea fans had gone down. I said, what, what's all this about? And because there were so many people, my, my phone coverage was slightly delayed. Checked my phone and basically I, 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 saw, I saw the news. And I filmed it because I was doing this. This is this is quite an event, but I didn't know exactly what it was. And then, it, but of course, it was a celebration of the news that Chelsea were, uh, were had announced they were pulling out. And actually, I can as I talk about that now, I can actually feel myself getting goosebumps about it, just because it was such a it was such a huge moment, the genuine emo- emotion around around people there. And it was it also felt like because let's not forget this was April 2021. We'd had o- over a year of. Um, coronavirus at that point where, where fans had only been in stadiums maybe once, twice and there was barely any of them in the grounds um, and it felt like a real kind of unifying moment, a communal moment 
Um, and it, like, it certainly was one of the best events I was at in, in, in 2021. It's, it's actually one of those moments that I will always hold very dear because I was there and I was part of it. It's like that... You know, there are certain things in my Chelsea supporting life that will always remain with me. For, uh, 1994, the FA Cup final, I remember crying in Wembley. My face was blue and, and, it, and all the blue was streaming after Eric Cantona destroyed us in that second half. 1997, winning our first, uh, our first FA Cup for 25 years. Winning the league when Lampard went round Jaskolainen. Mm. The European Cup in Munich. Moscow probably gets an honourable mention here because it was so painful. And the Super League. It's in that. It's in that bracket. It's in. I hold that day as dear as I do any of those incredible days where we lifted silverware. But th- this is different, though, because I know we like to think of ourselves as participants when we go to the mm. game. We like to think that we're influencing mm. it. But this is something you did influence in a very demonstrable way you and your friends and your fellow Chelsea supporters it's, it's like you're the players that day almost yeah I think I think so but because look I, I choose to believe this I choose to believe it because in my life is happier believing this it may or may not be true but in my head it's true <laughs> football fans will always influence a game football fans will always have a direct impact on the result of a football match Manchester United losing 6-1 to Tottenham Hotspur at Old Trafford doesn't happen in front of fans in my head in my head and equally when Chelsea score a last minute winner it's happened because the fans have urged the players on and there's been a direct but I also concede that that is probably me being optimistic and loving fan and loving what football fans represent and therefore choosing to believe that that's the case but I think you're correct if Chelsea fans didn't protest that day I think Chelsea would have remained in the Super League I think it was I think it was definitely two and two makes Christmas cake the, the club were in Chelsea fans reacted the club pulled out I think that we definitely had an impact that's no overstatement fans in England changed the conversation without them the Super League's founders might have been able to dig in hold the line repeat Florentino Perez's mantras that this was the only sustainable way forward for European football But as it was, fans made themselves seen and heard on every news channel, radio station and Twitter feed like never before. And that forced others to act. I think that fan anger also had an impact on populist politicians in a way that we've not seen before. We're going to look at everything that uh, we can do uh, with the the football authorities to to make sure that uh, this doesn't go ahead in the way that it's uh, currently being proposed. I don't think Kevin brought together a group of fan representatives from the Big Six clubs to meet Boris Johnson on the morning of Tuesday, April 20th. You know, the fact that we had um, things that we've been pushing for for a long time suddenly coming to the fore and being implemented by the politicians, I think that sh- gave an encouragement in the sense, actually, something's changing here. No, don't, don't forget, these, these clubs are not just great global brands. Of course they're great. Uh, global brands are also uh, clubs that have originated historically uh, from their towns, from their cities, from their local communities. They should loads as I am to give credit to a conservative government, particularly given everything that's happened since. A lot of people in football credit um, Oliver Dowden and Boris Johnson for how quickly they actually got the situation, and with and a, a key turning point in the whole story is um, Johnson's line that they were going to drop in a, you know, an atomic bomb of legislation on it. Andrea and Yelly would cite this threat from the government as the reason for the English club's mass withdrawal that Tuesday night. There is no question that Johnson only came to that conclusion 
because of the fan reaction, that he realised that this was not only a necessary, but a very popular thing to do. And there was something else immediately on the table. I got, took a phone call from the Minister of Sport on the Monday morning, discussing fan reaction to this, and in which he informed us that the Secretary of State, Oliver Dowden, was going to, that afternoon in Parliament, announce the setting up of the family review into the governance of football. Now, this was something which was already a manifesto commitment from 2019. It was something that uh, had arisen primarily out of the demise of Bury and you know other other the threat of other clubs there about the financial regulation of the of the game. We were concerned about that. We'd pushed for a review of the governance of football and pursuing the idea of independent regulation. The government had put it in their manifesto, but the the version previously was well. This is a manifesto for five years. There's no hurry. And we were pushing them to get it done as soon as possible. All of a sudden, that changed uh, on that Monday afternoon. The review was set up under Tracy Crouch, and that was going to look at the government of uh, the game on an ongoing basis. And I think of all the things that come out of that uh, Super League threat, that will be the most lasting and significant consequence. The football authorities have robust rules in place to deal with this, and I know from my conversations with them today that they are rightly considering a wide range of sanctions and measures to stop this move in its tracks. We'll return to Tracy Crouch's fan-led review in the next episode. As Kevin says, that has a huge part to play in the longer-term future of our story. But that week, you got the sense that there was something more profound going on than all the sabre-rattling between politicians and football's money men. Fans were waking up not only to the egregious greed of the men who run football, but also to their own collective power. There's always challenges involved in maintaining that because most people go to football to get away from things like uh, what seems like work of campaigning and challenging, etc. They go there to unwind and relax, but when you've got no choice really in modern football, then if you want to uh, maintain your degree of pleasure out of the game, sometimes you've got to stand up and fight for it. And um, what we found was that the the fan groups, the people who were the regular, the stalwarts of those fan groups, suddenly found themselves inundated with new members and volunteers uh, because people who weren't regularly involved were coming forward and said, yeah, we need to stop this, how can we help? It's a sense of pride, that actually, because, I mean, the protests weren't... They weren't arranged by the AST or anything like that, those early ones. We did one in May. But it was a case of, you know, I always doubted would people actually turn up? Like, are people really that, you know, a lot of football fans just want to come, a majority of football fans want to come, enjoy the game, have a couple of beers with their mates and go home sort of thing. You know, only a few sort of, you know, only a percentage really do the stuff we do, you know, all the supporter trust stuff, behind the scenes, all that kind of stuff, because that's not what the majority of fans are into. But to see all these fans here just protesting was just incredible. I mean, it's, it's something to do with the ownership as well. I think people have felt the Cronkies have been very absent. Um, so the Super League gave those fans just an excuse, like, yeah, let's just go in protest. We've been wanting to do this for a while. It was a bit of a combination of everything. It was a nice Friday evening. It was actually quite... It was funny, but because I think one of the reasons, and I, I don't, I, you know, I don't say this lightly, but because there were no fans in the grounds at the time, a lot of us who go to games home and away, we're part of a community, and it was just, it, it just reminded us all of the community again. That the fans are everything here. You know, there was the fact that there was a game on like that night against Everton, I think it was, 
and the fact that there was all these people out there and no one actually cared whether it was a dead rubber pretty much i think we were kind of you know we weren't going to finish in the top four or nothing like that so it was a case that nobody really cared what was going on in there but there was all these fans out there so would have loved to know what the players thought of that as well that the fact there's thousands of fans outside not actually caring that we're playing tonight it's weird After this outpouring of emotion, well, then came the mealy-mouthed apologies. One thing you could say for the sort of Liverpool owners and the United owners is that they they were brave enough to admit they made a mistake and a, and a bad mistake. I think there's too much pride at stake for the uh, for Perez and, and Agnelli. Melissa Reddy is not quite so forgiving. FSG have a history of ignoring fan sentiment and the right thing and optics and just the the fabric and soul of the club to take a decision only to u-turn we've seen it with ticket prices with furloughing of staff and this felt like another huge step in them not listening to people who would have told them better you know jürgen klopp being one of them and then doing something taking the executive decision for the future of the club, the future of football, basically disregarding the the football pyramid in this country, and then backtracking, pulling out and issuing another apology. And, you know, we, we were speaking about ownership models earlier, and unless a club is, you know, completely fan-owned and run as as a societal and and community institute first and foremost i don't think we'll ever get a perfect medium but fsg are quite good owners you know the club is sustainable they're successful in a sustainable way which is huge they have put liverpool at the forefront of analytics the recruitment is so so smart they've went and got one of the best ever managers in the game and completely empowered him in terms of the running of you know football matters on the pitch and yet they make these massive errors which they apologize for and and i always feel like the super league one was just the the last straw for fans that FSG can't keep getting away with, oh, we've made this terrible decision and now we're going to apologize. Saying sorry is not good enough when there are so many people that you can listen to who will tell you it's the wrong thing in the first place. It's this question of forgiveness that I wanted to ask Rory, Akil, Joe and everyone we spoke to for this series. At the time, the Super League felt like a point of no return for owners across the Big Six. And yet a year later, leaving the Chelsea situation aside for a moment, nothing's changed. The Glazers haven't sold Manchester United. The Krunkers haven't stepped aside for Daniel Ek. Daniel Levy and Joe Lewis remain firmly in place at Spurs. And FSG aren't leaving Merseyside anytime soon. We went to our membership um and said to them, sort of, there's, there's a couple of ways we can do this. Um, but one of the things that FSG have offered to do is to talk to us uh, about improving things for the future. Basically, are you willing for us to engage with FSG and take it from there? 
and, and the resounding response from that was yes, that's what they wanted. So I think we had a number of things that we could have done. Uh, clearly, the anger of our fans and, and other fans was there. Um, but because FSG wanted to talk um, in the way that a union does, you know, we, we, we offered the olive branch and, uh, and we got around the table. Joe tells me his confident spirit of Shankly have got an effective working relationship with FSG. They have a binding agreement that there must be fan consent for any future Super League too. But it's hard to tell just how far these reparations go until they're tested because that distrust is not going away. If any good came out of it, it's that Joel Glazer actually came to the table for the first time and, and said, look, I'm, I apologise, I've not communicated. And that is still an ongoing process now. Um, I'd like to think that some good comes from it, but such is the cynicism about the owners from most United fans, it's really difficult to say that will happen. And Arsenal basically have put together an advisory board where they meet two or three times a year. The Arsenal Sports Trust are part of this. Um, and that's meant to be all about strategic kind of um, you know, strategic things. Is that working well? Okay, I think there's, there's, there's things to go. But the fact that you've got dates in the diary, you've got commitment, that, that can only be a good thing. The fans forum keeps meeting as well, and, and owner Josh Honky or, or owner Son, I got it right that time, has committed to, to come into at least one a season. So there has been things there that are good, um, but there's still a long way to go. You still feel, are we talking about the important things in these meetings? I'm not sure. Um, so there's a little bit of work to do for sure there. But are we? Has it gone back to how it was? Probably not. Is it as good as we really wanted it to be? Probably not, so we're somewhere in the middle. After all, there's another question in all of this. What if things had played out differently? How far would these diehard fans have been willing to go? I would have considered not renewing my season ticket, for sure. I mean, it's hard to say because I've been going for my whole life. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I kind of, you know, 12-week scan on the day of the thing, so now my, my son's five months old. Can't wait. I'm bringing him to a game, actually. We're sort of we're doing a bit of sort of hospitality so he can have a little bit of a sleep if he needs it because he will at six months but you know for me I, I can't wait until that day to bring him to the embers he won't remember it but I will so it, it would have been really hard to say no and say you know what stuffy season ticket but I, I may well have done that I may well have done that I think a lot of people would have done that Would I have stopped for example watching Liverpool Football Club the honest answer is I don't know there's a lot going through in my head that week I have to say uh, in terms of um, FSG and I think I think it's really important and I, I, I do this myself I talk about the club and say the club have done this or the club have done that actually the club is Virgil van Dijk and it's the person who works in the ticket office as well you know and actually the club's also me so when I say the club I, I, I very often have to correct myself and say the owners the separation of a club and its history from the owners that is a truth the wider football world came to appreciate more than ever last April. That then was how fans put their collective foot down as the Super League plans started to hit the buffers. Next time on Back From The Brink, we go widescreen and look around Europe with another stumbling block to the plans of Perez and Agnelli being the reticence of giants like Paris Saint-Germain, Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund to get involved. We also look at what the future might hold for European football. Will the sweeping changes to the Champions League from 2024 sake desires to break away? What are Barcelona, Real Madrid and Juventus really aiming for? And is the Super League really dead? Join us for episode three on Friday, right here on Football Ramble Presents.
Football Ramble presents is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 